Let's get our Bibles tonight and be turning in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. You know, there are advantages to having uh, services online, which we do most of the time. Uh, it's an advantage for people who are out with sickness that they can still observe, be a part, feel like they're at least in, in part, a part of the service. Uh, the disadvantage is that uh, sometimes you want to talk about things that, like this missionary request, that are kind of sensitive and you can't really do it, shouldn't do it too much when you're online because, uh, because of concerns for their those missionaries, their families, their safety. So it has its advantages, has its disadvantages. I said this this morning, some of you were in the other building today, but I appreciate your prayers for us last week when we were in Monette, the Liberty Baptist Church, and uh, good friends of ours. We had a good services. The Lord blessed. I'm thankful for it. Second Corinthians chapter 7. We're going we're gonna to read a number of verses here in this uh, passage. But I want to just begin by reading two verses. Let's stand together, please, if you're able to stand with us. Verse 5 says, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Some of these verses, when you think about them, when you're reading them, it doesn't really match up sometimes with the uh, mindset or opinion that we might have about the writer, the Apostle Paul, writing this letter. I mean, we would have this idea about Paul that nothing ever shook him. He was always on the top side, never had a bad day. You know what I'm saying? Those, that's what I would think about the Apostle Paul, but... But he says there in verse 5, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God, that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And we'll read some verses before that and after that. But it's obvious from this text and other places in the Bible that Paul himself had struggles. And you may, you may be a person that's never ever been discouraged, but Paul was discouraged at times. We find it here in our text. We'll look at some other places. And we're going to look at what helped him. And let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, for your word. And we're delighted that we have the Bible to read. And Father, none of us would believe that we read it enough or study it enough or know it well enough. But we thank you that we have a, a resource of the wisdom and truth that we need. And we're grateful for it. Blessed tonight as we look into your word together. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Paul is writing here, and I'm not going to really spend a lot of time on this tonight, but I think it's good for us to understand some things. I think it's good for us to look into the Bible and look for answers and 
And one of the things that Paul is talking about is the ministry, the challenges that he faced in the ministry. One of the reasons that he faced these challenges was because there's an emotional connection uh, to those that you're trying to minister to. Look, for instance, in verse, verse 3, he says, I speak not this to condemn you, for I've said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. And just to think about this, you know, I think it's good to think when we're reading the Bible every once in a while. Um, this is the second epistle he wrote to this church, the church at Corinth. The first epistle he wrote, he, he really uh, dealt with some very serious issues in the church, was very strong in his language toward them. And yet it wasn't because he was mad at them. It wasn't because he, he didn't care about them. Because he says right here in verse 3, Ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. He loved these people. He loved the Corinthian people. As a matter of fact, you find this same sentiment in, in numerous epistles. We're going to come back to 2 Corinthians. But go to the right, if you would, just a little bit. A couple of books to, to the book of Philippians. And this epistle that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Philippi region, of course, of Macedonia. And I just want to look at one verse here in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 7. This is what he said to the church at Philippi. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart in as much as both in my bonds and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You all are partakers of my grace. He cared about these churches. He cared about the Corinthian church. We, we could look at a similar uh, sentiment found in his letters to the uh, church at Thessalonica. You know, so, he, so there's an emotional attachment uh, to people on the part that Paul had as he ministered to them. Go back to 2 Corinthians 7. And then notice some, uh, I think a hint at one of his concerns in verse 2 is the first two words in verse 2 where he says, receive us. Now you wouldn't think if Paul, if the Apostle Paul sent me a text and said, uh, preacher, I'm traveling today. I'm going to be coming through St. Clair. Uh, would, you, would you like for me to stop in and preach? And I would think... Um, Sure I would. I, let me pray about it. No, I wouldn't even pray about it. I just let him come. But you would think if Paul came to preach to you, he would not have to be concerned whether you're going to receive him or not. Right? You would think that would you would think people would just naturally receive him. And yet he's the first two words of verse two is receive us. So you can tell by this, and if you read these, both of these epistles, First and Second Corinthians, and, and looked at them just with kind of even more than a, just kind of a casual observance, you'd notice that, that he was constantly trying to prove to them that he was worthy of their support. He was defending his ministry. He would say things that made him feel awkward. And so he, he is really unsure as to whether they are receiving him or not. And you say, well, I just don't know how you get all that from that. Well, let's just look at a few verses in the previous chapter, chapter 6. 
beginning in verse 11. O ye Corinthians, he says. 2 Corinthians 6, 11. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you. And you say, that sounds like a preacher. <laughs> our mouth is open unto you. Then he says this, so our heart is enlarged. The first case of an enlarged heart. What he meant was, I care about you. I care a lot for you. My heart is enlarged. Then he says in verse 12, 12 ye are not straightened in us. Now, again, the word straight there is not talking about a straight line. It's talking about a narrow passage. Like the straight, straight is the way and narrow is the gate. It's like a narrow passage with obstacles around. He says, you're not straightened in us. Then he goes on to say, but you're straightened in your own bowels. He said, there's nothing, there's nothing in me, in us, Paul says, that's restricting your affection for us, but your restriction is coming from yourself. You're straightened in your own bowels, in your own heart. Then he says in verse 13, now for a recompense in the same, in parentheses, I speak as unto my children, caring for you, be ye also enlarged. In other words, I, why can't you have a heart for me like I have for you? Now that's exactly what he's saying in these languages. You're closing yourself off to me and I'm wide open to you. The point being, Paul loved these people. Paul loved the people he ministered to. And as he's writing here in these two chapters and even other places, he's explaining to them, helping them to see. And, and there's, the point is, he's going to show you in a moment how discouraged he really was, but where his help came from. He wrote to them in verse 5. I emphasized it when we read it the first time. When we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. And... In chapter 2, we're not going to turn to it, but in chapter 2, it tells us that Paul, on his way to Macedonia, stopped in Troas. Troas is a city on the western part of the Asian continent. And so he had trouble, a lot of trouble in Asia. Matter of fact, just turn left a little bit there in 2 Corinthians and look in verse... Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Just one verse talking about the trouble he had. He said in verse 8, For we would not, brethren, he's writing to the church at Corinth. It helps, and it really does help to know a little geography, because Asia would be, I'm trying to turn it backwards in my mind, I'm looking at the map, as I'm, I'm, Asia's up here, and then you go to the far side of Asia, there's Troas, you go across the Aegean Sea, and you come to Macedonia, and you enter Macedonia, at Neapolis or at uh, Philippi, then you go south down through um, Berea, Thessalonica, then you go to the region to Achaia, which is now Greece, and that's where Corinth is. And so this is the journey he's making. So he says in verse 8, we would, not, we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, beyond our ability to withstand in so much that we despaired even of life. Now, I don't want to study that, but I just want to let you know, this is the kind of trouble he was having. He's, he didn't embellish things. You know, when we say to somebody, that almost killed me, we might, it might have been anything. We might have stubbed our toe. 
But when he says we were, we were wondering whether we would live or not, I think he meant what he was saying. I think he was really having severe issues. So back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. And our, so physically, he was exhausted. Physically, he was drained. And we might say, from what? You say, all he did was preach. Well, preaching in itself can be draining. But traveling itself, he didn't have frequent flyer miles. He didn't get to fly. He traveled hundreds of miles by foot or horseback. The beatings, the persecutions, the disappointments, all these things. He says, we, our flesh had no rest. We could not rest. We were troubled on every side. That means from every direction, we were experiencing trouble. Without, we're these are physical things on the out, fightings within. That's emotional things, fears, external battles, internal battles. And the result of that was, Paul was, in his words, cast down. He was cast down. Verse 6 says, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us. I mean, I think you can read into that. He felt like he was cast down. What does it mean to be cast down? It means to be emotionally down. It means to be drained. A synonym for us would be discouraged, a form of being cast down. So Paul could use some encouragement, and he got it. Verse 8, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us. By the coming of Titus. Now, what is it about Titus coming that comforted Paul? And it could have simply been, been that Titus came. Titus was a, a co-laborer. Matter of fact, when he was in Troas in chapter 2, he was, he was discouraged because he couldn't find Titus. He looked for Titus. He couldn't find him. He wasn't answering his cell phone. Wasn't responding to his texts. We get so distraught, don't we, when somebody won't answer us. Imagine living like this where you didn't even, I mean, they didn't even have the Pony Express. <laughs> so it could have just Titus showing up to me would be encouragement. If Titus walked through the door... I'd be happy, right? But it wasn't just his coming. Notice what it says in chapter 6, or verse 6 of chapter 7. Nevertheless, God that comforted those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. Notice this, and not by his coming only. It wasn't just his presence. It wasn't just the fact that he showed up. But by the consolation, which is another word for comfort, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. He says, when Titus came and told me, told, it, told me, Paul says, how you had been comforted, you had been comforting to him, it, comfort, it comforted me. That look, at, look at it again, verse 7. Not his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith 
He was comforted in you. So when, when Paul, when Titus came and said, Paul, you're never going to believe how the Corinthian church encouraged me and comforted me, Paul, says, that Paul said, that comforted me. Verse 7, and, continues verse 7, when he told us, when Titus told us, you're talking about the Corinthians, your earnest desire, your mourning, because they had been repentant over the facts that things in their church that hadn't been right. They had been mourning. Titus says to Paul, these people are grieving and mourning over their sin. And Paul says, man, what an encouragement. He, nothing makes a preacher happier than seeing people sad. <laughs> he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, Notice this, your fervent mind toward me, that you have fond affection and fervency and love toward me. He says, so that I rejoice the more. You know, Paul needed some encouragement. He was troubled on every side. His flesh had no rest. But you know what encouraged him? The, the news of the spiritual progress that Titus reported to Paul. The fact that these people, that Paul himself on more than one occasion was suspicious if they really did receive him. If, if he was really making a difference in their life. And when, Timothy, when Titus said to Paul, these people are they're, they're obeying, they're listening, they're getting their hearts right with God, they love you. This, this news encouraged this faithful apostle. In a way, it was the Corinthians who encouraged Paul, but they did it through Titus. The Corinthians, I don't think the Corinthians necessarily were trying to encourage Titus. I don't, we have no reason to believe they were. But the way they talked and the way they lived was encouragement to Titus. And when Titus got to Paul, he's he shared with Paul how the Corinthians were living and, 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 and praying and serving and loving the preacher and loving the work of God, and Paul was encouraged. You know, you don't necessarily have to do anything to encourage someone. Just do what you ought to do, and it might encourage them. You know, I don't think a, I don't think a child would have to write a letter to his mom and dad and say, I'm just fixing to do some things that are going to please you, and I just want you to be sure and not miss it because I think it would be real encouraging to you. No, just do it. Just do it. They'll be encouraged. Now, this is an interesting subject to me, this matter of encouragement. I, but I think everybody deals with discouragement. I know a lot of people that do. I know a lot of preachers that do. I know people in the Bible, if you just read in the Bible, you see it commonly dealt with. One of the reasons I like the Psalms so much is it talks about the emotional ups and downs that the psalmist writes about. Psalm 42, he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Same language of the New Testament when Paul says, God comforteth them that are cast down. The psalmist says, why, talking to himself, 
Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Same psalm, he says, my soul is cast down within me. We all need encouragement from time to time. By the way, I think that's one of the reasons that we ought to come together, that we ought to be encouraged by the singing, the fellowship, the testimonies, the word of God. There's something about being in church that encourages me a whole lot more than anything else there is out there in the world. We all get discouraged sometimes. Sometimes because we just get weary and well-doing. Sometimes because of adversity. Sometimes because of physical problems and weaknesses. Sometimes because of disappointments. Sometimes because we just burn out. We all face it. If you're sitting here tonight thinking, I'm the only one that ever gets discouraged, I'm trying to fix that false conception that you have. Everybody, don't look now, but the person to your right and to your left also face temptations to be discouraged. And also the one in front of you and behind you. We're all going to be discouraged, but we don't want to stay there. By the way, God doesn't want us to stay there. He does not want us to stay there. Discouragement may visit you once in a while, but don't let them become a permanent resident. It's not good for you. It's not good for me. It's not good for God's will. It's not good for those around us. One of the worst parts of being discouraged, and this is, this, I'm going to get off this subject a little bit, but one of the worst parts of being discouraged is the tendency to put so much energy into our downcast condition. It becomes the focus of our life, and that's not a good place to be. So where do we find encouragement? I'm going to quickly name a few things, then I'm going to really focus in on our conference. Where do we find encouragement? Well, first of all, we find it from God. Now, God uses tools. God uses means. God uses things. But David said in Psalm 3 that the Lord is this, the lifter up of my head. When a person is downcast, they have a tendency for their head to be down, to be looking down, to be thinking down. God is the lifter up of my head. So encouragement comes from God, He can lift us up. Now, what does He use? He uses several things. And I'm not going to really give them in detail, but one thing He uses is us. David, said, David encouraged his, himself in the Lord. You remember the story when David was on the run from Saul and he took up refuge in a place called Ziklag. And while he was there at Ziklag, he, would been, he had, uh, was going out, he was going to go out the on a, on a mission against the Philistines and the Philistines recognized him and says, you can't go. So he had to go back home. And when he came back home to Ziklag, his place of refuge had been destroyed. Families, his own family, had been taken hostage. They were talking about stoning David because of the families who had been affected. And David was much discouraged. But it says this, you can read it sometime. He encouraged himself in the Lord. You know, sometimes it's good just have a talk with yourself. You know, I get in trouble sometimes talking to myself. When I start talking about things that are negative or noticing things that 
aren't healthy to think about. You know what I'm saying? You talk, you start talking about things in, in your mind. Maybe not out loud. Maybe out loud. Maybe, you know, people think you hear voices and you're listening. But whatever. My wife and I kid around some about, because we'll be talking to ourselves. And, we, and when she's in the room or near me, she doesn't know if I'm talking to her or not. And she'll be talking and... And then she said, and then I asked, she asked me to answer the question, what did I just say? I said, I didn't know. I thought you were talking to yourself. So it's a game we play. <laughs> it's fun. The older you get, simpler things matter a lot. But the truth is I can talk to myself and I can get myself in more trouble by talking to myself. But I can also talk to myself and start reasoning with myself and say, you need to quit thinking like that. That's not a healthy way to think. Stop it. That's, that's encouraging yourself in the Lord. When you're thinking nothing is going your way, I'm trying to just convince you this works, then start observing the blessing. Start looking at your kids. When you think your kids are a burden, start looking at what a blessing they are. Or maybe they will be one day. He encouraged himself in the Lord. But second of all, God's word encourages us. It does. This right here is a source of great encouragement. Great hope. This morning we're talking about the rebuilding after the Babylonian captivity and how these enemies were coming and trying to stop the work. And it wasn't a minor thing. It wasn't an occasional thing. It was an onslaught of, of trying to hinder the work of God. These people... These people were accustomed to the Jewish people being gone, not having their city, not having their temple. Now they come back and they're trying to rebuild and they just kept giving them problems and, and finally they just stopped building. And you can read about this. It was through the preaching of two men, one by the name of Haggai and one by the name of Zechariah, men of God. It was through their preaching that rejuvenated the people. They got back to building and finished that project. God uses preaching. God uses his word. I hope you know this. Amen. But good godly music can also encourage you. It'd be hard to overestimate or exaggerate the importance of good godly music. But then number five, God's people encourage us. This, this is what we have in 2 Corinthians 7. It comes from God's people. God used Titus to encourage Paul. Think about this. Titus was not the spiritual leader. Paul was the spiritual leader. Paul was the spiritual leader, and yet God used Titus to encourage Paul. Titus lifted him up. Titus was encouraged. He said, Paul, you're not going to believe what's happening in Corinth. And he shared it with Paul. Titus is encouraged. He shared it with Paul. Paul gets encouraged. So they encouraged Titus. Titus encouraged Paul. By the way, that's kind of the way it works sometimes. You know, negativism can be contagious. I wish wearing a mask we could all keep from getting it. But you know what? Positivism, faith talk, can also incur be contagious. And encouraging others in turn encourages us. It just does. You know, you know why... I can't say this for everybody. You know why a number of our people so look forward to our preaching conference? It's not because you're up too late at night and up too early in the morning and exhausted by the time it's over. That's not really what they look forward to. 
know what they look forward to? They look forward to being a blessing and helping other people. People take vacations for it. They don't take vacations so they can sit in here and sit, sip tea, you know, put their feet up and just enjoy the preaching and singing. A lot of them never even get into a church service. And when it's over with, they're thoroughly blessed. You know why? Because when you help others, it helps you. One of the worst things you can do, one of the worst things a depressed person can do is just focus on their problems. Find somebody to help. Find somebody's yard to mow. Find somebody to reach out to. That'll, that'll help. You say, well, I don't know if that'll help them. It may not help them, but it'll help you. People always need encouragement. And then specifically, about thinking about Paul, and this has to do with our conference, preachers sometimes need encouragement. Paul wasn't the only one. Most of you who know your Bible well know that Elijah, who had some great moments, called down fire, literal fire, on a sacrifice on Mount Carmel when there were hundreds, not one or two or 50 or 75, but hundreds of false prophets present. He was the only one there representing God. He called down fire. But it wasn't long till he was in a place of great discouragement. Thinking that, thinking that he'd be better off dead. I'm just telling you, it happens. I wrote one of our devotions in our devotional book many years ago about a man in the Old Testament who lived during the time of Ahab, whose name was Obadiah. Obadiah was a governor in Ahab's house. You've got to remember, Ahab was the wicked king of Israel. Notorious. And the only one in his palace that might have been more wicked was his wife, Jezebel. These people hated God, hated God's people. This is the king of Israel. Obadiah was a governor. He was, in the, he was, on, the, he was on the cabinet. He had a cabinet office. Obadiah had a, a, a high-level position in Ahab's administration. Obadiah. And Jezebel is killing preachers. Not just, she was killing them. Having them killed. And Obadiah found a place to hide a hundred preachers in caves. In 50 different, 50 in each place. A hundred preachers. And Obadiah kept a hundred prophets alive, giving them bread and water every day. I wrote a devotion about that called Obadiah, a friend of preachers. That, imagine what that took for a person to do that. What, what, kind of, what kind of faith what kind of faith would it take what kind of daring would it take to be hiding a hundred preachers in caves while you're working for Jezebel, the one who's killing preachers? You know, preachers sometimes need encouragement. That'd be a good thing to be known as a friend of preachers. That's what Obadiah, that's how, every time I say hear the name Obadiah, even Obadiah Holmes, who was a preacher out on the East Coast in early American history, I think of this Obadiah. You say, how could I be a friend of preachers? Encourage them. Pray for them. I met a, it wasn't my first time to meet him. I've met him a couple times before, but I got to spend a little time with a preacher that was at our conference. He's never been here before, and he was only here one night 
But every Sunday since then, including this morning, I get a note from him saying, I'm praying for you today. You know what? He's an encouragement to me. When's the last time you went out of your way to encourage somebody? You ought to think about it. So you say, what does that have to do with our conference? It has everything to do with our conference. Because that is the primary reason we have the conference. It's not to encourage you, although you need it. And it's not to encourage me, although I need it. But it's to encourage others who need it as well. And, I mean, we were blessed this year to have almost 300 guests here. And most of them were, primarily they were preachers, and some of the preachers had their wives, and some of them had their children, and some of them were friends of preachers. There's a pastor friend of mine in another state that wanted to come and could not come, but two families from his church came, who are also dear friends of ours. And why do we host it? Think about this. Now, I have a reason for talking about this tonight, because I, I want the church to understand why we do this. And I want the church to really on, be on board with it. I mean, every time we have a conference, like we did this year, every time we have a conference, I have to think about the fact, you know, this could be my last one. You say, well, you plan on quitting it right away? No, but you don't, it's 66, you don't know how long you're gonna be around. I don't want it to be my conference, I want it to be the church's conference. Not what I do, what we do. And I don't do all the work. I enjoy the blessings and the benefits. But why do we do it? It's a lot, there's a lot of work involved. There's a lot of expense involved. But the primary reason, I just want to really nail this down tonight. The primary reason is to provide a place and an atmosphere for preachers and or their families to be refreshed and encouraged. That's the purpose of it. To have a time away from their place of service. And again, I don't expect people to really understand that. But my wife knows this. I, I didn't plan on saying this, but I'm going to say it. She knows that anytime we're away from here, I sleep better than I sleep when I'm here. You know why? Because I'm away from a lot of the burdens and the stress and wondering what's happening, all that kind of stuff. You say, well, I don't think... I don't think people need to think like that. When you have people in your heart, you think like that. You imagine what you imagine the burden you go through when you have a child that's sick or a child that's strayed away or a child that's struggling. And you as a parent, will you multiply that by all these different families? Because we have people in our heart. And so we want this to be a place during our conference for people to come to get away from their place of service, to be encouraged by the music and the preaching, to have time just to be with the Lord and time with each other. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. A lot of meaningful conversations happen that are encouraging to others. And if a person came to our church and did not understand the reason, they'd wonder, you know, why, why does it work the way it works? Why is it, why don't we, why don't we, cannot, why can't we all go over there and, and have another hundred people over there, you know, with the people that are all there so we can talk to everybody? And we're not trying to segregate people, 
But the purpose is to be encouraging to these preachers. Because you know what? If you can help encouraging a preacher, you'll help a lot of other people. If the preacher comes home refreshed, I'm going to read some of these, just a few notes here tonight, just a, a sampling of them. And when you, when you hear and see what, what happens to them in the few days that they're here, they can, they can kind of unpack their burden and just relax and enjoy the singing and the food and the fellowship and, and just soak up the blessing, then they can leave here refreshed. That's what we want. And I feel like I, I don't do this every time we have a conference. Sometimes I just assume that people understand it. And I understand there are people who may sit here tonight and, and, and really the purpose of it still doesn't resonate. You don't really get it. You just like it because we get to hear a lot of good singing. By the way, it's worth it just to sit in a room with that many preachers just listen to them sing. Isn't that a blessing? I, you know, if you could just can that and sell it, right? We could pay off our debt. So, so I just want to say this. I appreciate the church hosting it. It's not mine. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't try to do it. It's, but it's everybody. But if, I, but if everybody knew, if everybody really knew the blessing that we're being to other people, you'd want to be as involved as you could be to say, I want to be a part of that. When, when I read, I mean, I have dozens won't read them all tonight, of personal letters. You say, man, I wish, I wish we could help people like that all the time. We, that's why we only do it every couple of years. It takes a lot. But it's worth it. I think it's worth it. They think it's worth it. I want you to believe that it's worth it. You, are you with me? Amen. And I know a lot of you do. You're on board. And people sacrifice. I mean, people... We have people here who made 20 desserts. I eat 15 of them. I grow in the Lord during this conference. Imagine that. Why would somebody do that just to make sure there's enough? Make sure we're being helped. Amen. Let's pray. Tonight, I want to take a few moments after we, after we have prayer and just talk a little bit more about the conference. But even though I focused tonight on how Paul dealt with discouragement in his own life and ended by talking about how preachers have to deal with it, everybody in this room deals with it. Some more than others, but we all do. And I hope you'll think about the things that we talked about tonight that will help to lift our heads when our heads are down, when our da we're downcast. Early in my ministry, probably for the first 10 or 15 years of ministry. I don't even know if I knew what discouragement was. I don't know if I even knew what it was. Personally, I knew what it was in other people.
Father, we thank you tonight that you are the lifter up of our head. We thank you for the Bible. God, what a great book it is. What an amazing book it is. It, it feeds us. It leads us. It enlightens us. The entrance of thy word giveth light. It guides us, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And it talks about our glad times and about our sad times. And Father, we're thankful for all that. And God, we pray that you'd help us when we get discouraged to find encouragement from you and from the various methods, Lord, that you use to help us. We live in a world of people we know that are emotionally hurting. God, help us. Help us to find the hope that's real in our own heart that we can share hope with others. Father, we'll truly thank you and praise you for that. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the privilege that we have not only to serve together week by week, month by month and year by year, but we have the opportunity to be a part of helping preachers from around the country that see this as an oasis, a place to come for refreshment. We thank you for it. Help us to do what you'd have us to do. And we know that any good thing that we do we do because of you. And we thank you for letting us be a part. In Jesus' name, amen.